0: Scores! Gilmore scores!
1: The Off the glass and left corner to Aguilla. Aguilla left
2: circle. Passes to the the shot. Save. Made by all the three-bounds. Another shot. They score! The Blades win it! Yeah! Baby! They score! And the sea of red erupts!
3: Flames Talk starts now on Sportsnet 960 The
2: Fan. Here's
3: Pat Steinberg and Aaron Vickers
2: all right we are underway on this friday december 1st happy friday steinberg and vickers along with you on apple spotify google amazon or wherever you get your podcasts and let's welcome everyone to the sports drive brought to you by coffee lock and safe this christmas give the gift of security with smart locks and safes visit coffee lock hello fix
4: buddy was shaking
2: much? It's been a busy uh, 24, 48 hours, that's for A little sure. bit,
4: a little bit. Lots oh, to talk wait. about. Good for us.
2: Um, it was, that was a busy Thursday show. Remember all that prep we did?
4: I, I do. I, and then we I'm so deleted. glad I deleted it all because it's it not
2: relevant anymore. Except for it still is, so huzzah. Well, let's talk about Oliver Shillington because... That was pretty neat to see him on the ice on Friday. That's another interesting piece of news. And I was not expecting that. I'll tell you that much. I don't think anybody was expecting to see Oliver Shillington be kind of one of the leading pieces of news when we got things going on this Friday. And yet there he was at Max Bell skating. And I'll, I'll, I'll say this. First of all, it was super neat. To see that. It was awesome to see him uh and and see those images of him skating. We were at the dome when we first saw it. And then a few minutes later, everybody who went and skated at Max Bell, there was only a small group of people who went over there of the the regulars, like heavy optional. Uh, Dylan Dubay, Walker Dewer. Dubay takes every skate, doesn't matter what it is. Uh, Walker Dewer, Dylan Dubay, Ilya Solovyov, who was called up, uh Rooney and Pelche skated. They've been skating for the last week or so. And Oliver Shillington led the way, walked right by us into the Flames dressing room. And it was just cool to see Oliver with a big smile on his face, said hi to us. And it was just, it was neat to see him because we haven't seen him at the dome in gear in that type of environment in about 18 months. It was just, it was super neat to see him. And I just had a big smile on, on on my face. Cause you know, the type of battle that he's been in. and And I know that we don't get into specifics and nor will we, but he's been in a battle, and, and it's been a really rough little stretch for him. Long stretch. And just to see him back with a Flames logo on a practice jersey, talking with teammates, carrying a stick on his shoulders, it's like, good for him. And, and we'll get into some of the specifics on what it means in a second. But that was just a really uh, neat, smile-inducing thing on a Friday.
4: Absolutely. And uh, you see him take his first twirl on the ice at Max Bell on Friday, as you mentioned, but Flames TV managed to catch him coming off the bus because the players got dressed at the dome, bust over to Max Bell, and he walks by the camera, flashes a little smile, a little wink. You could see the twinkle in his eye. Absolutely great to see Oliver Shillington back in Calgary Flames gear. And again, I don't imagine this is an imminent return. Again, things will be taken a little bit slowly, and you'll get into that in a second. But just great to see him back out there in Flames gear amongst teammates, flashing a smile, running through some drills. Good to see him back.
2: So here's what I can tell you. So first of all, Oliver never went home. Uh, By home, I mean back to Sweden. Um, Oliver's been in Calgary this whole time. So he came over here right before the start of training camp, went through some of the... Um, went through some of the, the preseason stuff, you know, the promo stuff, did some videos, took the pictures with his jersey on, all that type of stuff. But basically what happened was that was too much for him uh, at the time, and it, it just kind of was like, okay, he needs to take a step back. He wasn't ready to come back full-time at that time, so he stepped away from the team as we found out. Like 10 minutes it was announced just before their first on-ice session. But Oliver stayed in Calgary the entire time. And was has been keeping in touch with the Flames, and uh, they've been working with him. And at, at no time has he completely disengaged. He's been here in Calgary, working through what he's working through. Um, so that has always been a promising sign. And the way I've understood it the entire time is that Oliver wants to try. Like he he doesn't want to be away from the team. This is not something that. Is, is happening because it's by choice or it's a necessary thing. He'd, right. he'd, he'd like to be with the team. He'd like to be playing, but he needs to be ready. And he wants to come back, and he wants to be able to play at some point. Uh, that's been the goal the entire time. And maybe it happens this season, maybe it doesn't. I also know there's a lot of gratitude from Oliver in terms of the way the Flames have handled it, the way that they have um, been so... Uh, welcoming and so supportive throughout the entire thing. There's a lot of gratitude. And, and because of that gratitude, I think there's even more motivation for him that if, if he is at any point ready, he would really like to come back and try to help the team. Still no timeline. And we're going to hear from head coach Ryan Huska in a little bit. Flames don't know what's coming next. Oliver doesn't know what's coming next. He was on the ice with a small group of teammates on a Friday morning at Max Bell. Flames don't have any expectations in terms of what comes next. There's there's nothing imminent, and there's no set timeline. Flames are going to remain really delicate with it. They're going to take it slow, one step at a time. There's not going to be any pressure to come back or, hey, okay, you did this. Well, that means on Saturday you got to take part in morning skate. Like, if that happens, great. Or if it doesn't happen, great. If it takes another couple weeks for him to be back on the ice with teammates, whatever there, there's no expectation to in terms of what comes next and and the final thing i'll say it's important to note that this is in no way, shape, or form connected to the Nikita Zadorov trade. I know there's a lot of dots being connected there, and understandably, I understand why Zadorov gets traded. Then you see Shillington on the ice the next day. You're like, oh, the timing is uh, maybe not a coincidence. It was 100% a coincidence. Uh, they are not tied together in any way, shape, or form. So I understand the connecting of the dots, but I can tell you beyond a shadow of a doubt and confirm that. The Nikita Zadorov trade is not related to Oliver Shillington. Those two things and these two things have happened very independent of one another. In fact, the Zadorov stuff was going on for a few weeks. They were trying to get that done. And Vancouver only upped their offer on Thursday. So they decided to go forward with the trade. So completely, utterly, 100% unrelated to Oliver Shillington is Nikita Zadorov, and vice versa. Saying all that. Damn, was it cool to see him back on the ice on Friday?
4: Absolutely. And to your point of just because he's taken the first step and has gotten back on the ice with a small group of teammates, the steps aren't necessarily going to be linear in this. This is going to be done on...
2: That's a perfect way of putting it. This is not a linear thing.
4: Yeah. So this is going to be done on the terms of what's best for Oliver Shillington as it has been from the time that he first stepped away from the team, as it has been from the time when he stepped away in training camp in September, and rightfully so. This is something that we're not talking about recovering from an ACL injury or anything like that. This is going to be done with the due care and due process of Oliver Shillington in mind, as it should be. Again, there should be no quabbling on that fact and to your point about okay so the Calgary Flames trade Nikita Zadorov on a Thursday Oliver Shillington pops up on a Friday correlation does not equal causation in this case great to see Oliver Shillington back on the ice but in no means is this a connection to Nikita Zadorov. and what happens next we don't know we'll we'll find out over the course of time how this plays out whether it's a week a month six months from now it's indeterminate but you're right, Dan, was it good to see him back on the ice flashing that smile again? I
2: I, I I really, I'm rooting for this guy in so many ways, and you just, I, I really, all you want is for it to work out, right? All you want, and, and this is, it has nothing to do with anything other than if he comes back and rejoins the team, it means that he's ready, and that's, look, knowing that he has been in a real, uh, he's been in a real battle, the the mental health that the the mental health struggles and challenges and and all of what has gone into the last year and a half for Oliver like it's been a hellish stretch i think that is very fair to say it's been an extremely extremely difficult fight for him and i think he's going to win the fight but you don't have to your point you don't have a linear timeline on when everything is put behind a human being to the point that they're ready to go back to a certain thing. And so it's been, it has been an absolute battle with some of the things in his personal life that he's been dealing with. And so if he is able to get back and rejoin the team fully, that means he's ready. And that means that he has won or is, is winning in a big way. And that is the, the most important thing for me. And then also it'd be super important for the team, right? Like it it would also, what a huge return it would be if he did come back.
4: It would certainly be great for the Calgary Flames, but I'm rooting for Oliver Shillington to come back for Oliver Shillington. First and foremost, the Calgary Flames to me are, are a secondary story in the, what he could give the Calgary Flames. I'm just rooting for Oliver Shillington first and foremost. And if it just so happens that he's a member of the Calgary Flames, if, and when he's able to return, that's great for the Calgary Flames. But it's even better for Oliver Shillington. I'm pulling for him for sure.
2: Here is head coach Ryan Huska. He spoke to us at the Dome and uh, gave some updates as to where things are when it comes to Oliver Shillington and the Flames.
1: Nothing in regards to timeline. Like, there is nothing imminent there, but it's just, it was a good feeling for us to see him around the room today. I mean, that's really what it's about. It's Uh, we haven't seen much of him lately so it's nice to see him back skating with a small group of guys do you have to kind of temper your own sort of oh he's an option at some point you hope do you have to temper that or do you have to like I said at this point he's you know it's just good to see him back again that's the most important thing for him and um, we're we're all hopeful that he continues to progress as, as we go here but um, there is there is no timeline at all for anything like that. The office is certainly the most important mental health every yeah. that goes along with that scenario. I guess just uh, What can you tell us about maybe where he is in in that category? Um, <clears throat> I don't know if I can really tell you anything about it to be quite honest with you. Um, um, He's doing what he has to do in order to get himself into a, a great spot, and that's all that we care about—is him as a person first and foremost. So I, I can't give you really a lot as to how he's feeling or what he's he's going through. Can you tell us anything about what he's been doing the last few weeks? If he's been here training in that regard, um, he's he's skated um, on his own at times. It's it's not anything that's been a regular occurrence at all, um, you know. But this was really the first first time we've seen him around our team. So I, as I've said, it's just a it's a positive thing just being able to see him ar- around the group again.
5: Right. Um, understanding that it's all out once best for Oliver. Like, does the hope that this becomes a daily thing that he's kind of back around the group now or is it too soon to say uh, that? It's
1: too soon to say that for sure. So we're, we're still, you know, it's a long ways for us still, yeah. Totally trying to respect his privacy. Yeah. Him, have, you, have you personally like, been keeping in contact with him? Um, so. That's the beauty of text messaging. It's um, <laughs> one thing that you can do. So sometimes, um, You know, I feel with the players, the way they communicate nowadays, that's typically the way you communicate with them. So it's not something that I've done every day, um, but we do stay in contact for sure.
2: There you go. That is head coach Ryan Huska. A little bit of an update on the Oliver Shillington thing as well. And yeah, it's um, neat to see him back. I hope he's able to return and rejoin the team at some point between now and the end of the season. They would definitely welcome him back from both a hockey standpoint and an overall standpoint with open arms. Uh, but again, nothing imminent, no timeline. And honestly, that's the way to do it. Like, yeah, no pressure. And if he is able to come back and he's ready to rejoin the team, well, take that slow too. Because let him get back up to... like, Let him ramp back up. Maybe you go on a conditioning stint with the Wranglers. Like, there's, there's, there is no rush... To bring him back, and trying to rush it in any way, shape, or form would kind of be counterproductive in a lot of ways. So, yeah, good on him. It's good to see him back. We'll see where this thing goes. But I think that's the most important thing. No pressure. See where it goes. Don't know what the next steps are, and no expectations for what those next steps are.
4: Yeah, you don't be this patient for this long, and credit to the Flames and Oliver Shillington in this sort of process, but you don't rush him back into NHL game- action after you've been so deliberate and being patient and, and allowing him to take the steps that he needs to take but again just I understand the excitement from you me flames fans the organization as a whole in seeing him back on the ice today in practice because again that smile and that wink of his coming off of the bus it just kind of warms your heart and you, it's hard it's impossible not to yep. root for him in what he's been battling with his mental health issues.
2: Uh let's dive in on the text line for a second at nine sixty-nine sixty. This says if Oliver never plays another game, I'll still support the hell out of him. Hope that being in Calgary's given him all the support he needs and that he starts to feel better. Uh positive vibes for Oliver Shillington. I like that. Uh this reads from Mick. Don't know who I'm cheering for more. Matthew Phillips or Oliver Shillington, both very high skilled, good guys. Yeah, it's tough not to root for Oliver as well. Like I, I just I remember he came in. Uh, at some point in the 21-22 season and and sat down. And it it had been when he had kind of really, for the longest time, we were like, okay, is, is Oliver going to be a full-time NHL or is it going to be something that gets figured out? Well, and, didn't his
4: contract, entry-level contract slide like two or three
2: times while he was in the AHL as well because he made the jump yeah, directly yeah. to pro hockey. He was playing in, in the America. American League at yeah. 18, which doesn't happen because you're not allowed if you're a CHL player, but right. because he came over from Sweden, he was. And I just remember... Him sitting down and and talking about, you know, his journey and and how he'd grown and, you know, just all of what had gone into him finally hitting it so that, hey, this is the league that I belong in, not, yeah, he could be and shows flashes like he had clearly, this was where he belonged. Him and Chris Tanev were one of the top two pairings on the Flames that year and were a huge reason why they ended up winning the Western Conference or winning the Pacific Division, rather, that year. So, um, yeah, it... uh, it's it's he's a really easy guy to cheer for knowing how the story's gone, knowing him as a guy. It's just it's it's cool to see. Um and uh there's one other um there's one other text I wanted to read that I lost it. So uh hey, I'm just happy. Oh, and John in High Plains says any connection between Zadorov out and Shillington back on the ice, as I said, there's nope. zero connection there. Um oh and this one says how rusty will Oliver be if and when he does return. He's got to be extremely rusty not playing at the NHL pace for so long. That's why I said, if that does end up happening, even taking it slow there, like if he's ready to return and throw himself full back in, awesome, great, support him. And and that's really good news on all fronts. And also there's no reason to rush that. Like let him ramp back up at a gradual pace too.
4: Absolutely. Again, this isn't going to be something where, just because he's back in practice, he's been practicing for a week or two weeks or whatever the timeline happens to be. He's still been out of the NHL for a set period of time and jumping back into the pace of play in the NHL isn't something that's just going to happen with a snap of a finger. So just as you've been patient with him off the ice, you're as patient with him on the ice because it's not going to be, it's not flip, flip on the light switch and all of a sudden you're skating at 100% no, Sometimes in the NHL, two so. steps,
2: one back, one step, two back three sideways like it's a, it, it again
4: is- that's not going to be linear as, as as we talked about yeah. on the uh you know his path to coming back to the Calgary Flames well his path to coming back to the on ice and being the player that we saw him when we last saw him playing in the NHL for the Calgary Flames it's going to take time
2: uh okay Good stuff on the text line, nine sixty nine sixty Steinberg Vickers along with you. This hour of Flames Talk is underway. And let's go inside hockey on a Friday for Calgary Co-op. It's that time to stock up for the celebrations that matter. With ingredients that help make memories, visit Calgary Co-op where life's in store. And we're going inside hockey, and I'm asking a um, rather rhetorical question. Who is this Flames team? And I ask that because... On what planet did the Flames just win a third consecutive overtime game? In what world, what alternate parallel universe are we living in where the Flames are three for three on the positive side in games that have been decided in three-on-three overtime? How dare they? In what world are they allowed to change the narrative that has uh, belagered this team the the last couple of years? I say that, of course, tongue-in-cheek but they just won another overtime game. Like shootouts be damned. Don't get there. Maybe maybe shootouts aren't their cup of tea, but to see them three for three in overtime this year in, in games that are decided in extra time before the shootout, that's a pretty significant development. So yeah, I I, I tongue in cheek say, how dare they, but we, we know how much extra time they had 17 losses. In games that went past 60 minutes last was year. Was
4: that an NHL record? I'm trying to remember. I feel like if not, it was knocking on the door, but I feel like that was one of the things coming out of the season was they had set an NHL record. I believe record. that they
2: were, or they were close. I don't remember. I, don't I know re- they
4: had an NHL record for one goal losses last season, which will tie into overtime shootout losses, but I digress. Anyways, 38,
2: 27, and 17. 17! 17. They, they lost 44 times last year. 17 extra points on the table. Tell me that wouldn't have been helpful down the
4: stretch last year as they were trying to catch the Winnipeg Jets.
2: Yeah. Um, (laughs) No kidding. Remember how everybody was like, oh, Montreal only made the playoffs in 2021 because of all those extra points. And the Flames are like, a couple years later, like, hey, hold hold our beer.
4: (laughs) Uh, Good on them. Yeah, absolutely. You like to see it. And hey, a little practice goes a long
2: way. That maybe. Um, (laughs) Was that a drive-by? It is definitely, but still might be right this team is going to be on a, in a lot of close games. Like This team is going to be on the razor's edge mm-hmm. in, in, when it comes to the margins of games all year. And part of what I think we saw in the month of November is the Flames leaning into the fact that they're a by-committee team that's going to have to win close games. And they have bought into the fact they got to stick with their plan and stick with the way they're playing in games where maybe they do allow a couple of goals to a more high-powered team. And maybe that more high powered team gets a little uh, complacent once they get up a couple of goals, and by them sticking with their game, they can catch some teams by surprise. And so part of being that type of team, without a superstar that relies on being able to throw three, four lines and three pairings at you and, and, and attempts to come at you at waves, in waves rather. part of being that team, is winning close games. And part of winning close games is winning them once they get to overtime. So I think it's actually a significant development that we've seen them win their last three times that they've gotten to overtime. They won Monday, that game in Seattle last Monday, then they win this Monday uh, against Vegas. And then Thursday night, they beat Dallas. Two of those teams are cup contenders. One of them's a playoff team from last year. So that's three wins in overtime against good Western Conference teams where the Flames got the extra point. To me, that's a big-time development.
4: You brought up a really good point. I was hoping you would hammer on it a little bit. You didn't, so allow me to. You mentioned that the Calgary Flames have managed to do this despite not really having an actual game-breaking talent that some of these other teams do. And they're going to be in so many close, tight games because while the opponent might have somebody that can torch a team for two or three points on any given night. The Calgary flames don't. So they've been doing it by committee. They've been doing it by their depth. So the fact that they can start churning out some overtime wins, some extra time wins with that depth. And if you go back to Thursday night, it just so happened to be the combination of Jonathan Huberto and Nazem Kadri combining for that game winning goal in overtime. You need to cash in those bonus points. We learned that last season. We know how important it is, but by nature of them going to be in so many close games because of the fact that they're going to have to do everything by committee from here on out based on the depth that they have, but not overall high-end talent. It's great to see that they're finding ways to win in those three-on-three situations because, man, was that ever one of the major talking
2: points from a season ago when they missed the playoffs. This is Kale McLean, uh, assistant coach of the Calgary Flames, joined us live in the Hot Stove Lounge on Flames Talk post game on Thursday, and I asked him, "What's the difference? What is he seeing that's different in three-on-three overtime?"
5: One of the big differences: we're a little more patient and a little more um, uh, picky about the shots that we take on the net. We're willing to take it out of the zone a little more often. We're willing to use Markey, uh, relieve pressure in any way. We can and not waste opportunities from shots that aren't aren't great A's. And that, you know, all you have to do is do that one time and that, you know, you could not see the puck again for a minute and a half. So just having the discipline to hang on to a puck, turn it back, Wait, maybe get a, a fresh body on the ice and build your attack again. I think makes a big difference, and our guys are making better decisions there. And then you got to just credit the guys for clutch performance, right? Like there's, you know, the Mackenzie Weger goal and and Kadri tonight, like the the play they made on the entry. So you, you know, can't dismiss the fact they're just making good plays, but I think their their thought process is a little more. Uh, wise for the situation
2: so that is Kale McClain head coach of the flames not head coach of the flames assistant coach of the flames um, and and talking about how they really have actively gone about strategizing differently at three on three and you know the quote-unquote drive-by that you just threw out there I, I think practicing does play a part in that you want to strategize on something I, I think there's always something to be said of putting that strategy into practice without the the live reps like the practice I, I think makes a big part of it
4: absolutely and it's one thing to develop that game plan as you mentioned but if you're not getting reps on it Game plans can quickly be thrown out the window, especially if you look at the situation last season where it was loss after loss after loss as soon as the game went beyond 60 minutes. So you almost panic a little bit when you get into certain situations. And Kel McLean said it in that interview. The Calgary Flames have been willing to be more selective, willing to wait for those grade A chances, have shown a lot more discipline this year than last year in terms of their shot selection, which has been absolutely key in overtime. You can't be throwing... Uh, 65 foot or wide of the goal in overtime to turn the puck back up the other way for a two-on-one. The Calgary Flames have been a lot more patient. They've been a lot more disciplined, a lot more selective. And that comes with not just developing the game plan of, okay, keep the puck on your stick unless you have something you truly believe you can score on, but also going out and practicing that really reinforces the fact that this is our game plan. This is how we're going to execute it in practice. And this is how we want ex- you to execute it in games.
2: I uh, went a little deeper, chatted with Noah Hannafin uh, down at the Dome on Friday morning about just that. Uh, He's one of the defensemen that goes out there. It's kind of Hannafin, Anderson, Weger all get significant overtime reps for them at three-on-three. Went into it a little bit more with Noah Hannafin on uh, all of a sudden, this team is a whole lot more successful come three-on-three overtime. I just wanted to ask you about overtime success because we know that it was something that that wasn't there the way you wanted last year what what have you been seeing with your group when you get to extra time i think we're
3: just kind of strategizing a little bit more like you know, i think uh, in the past we kind of just went out just played three on three and, and see what happens and i think this year we're kind of uh we have some ideas of what we want to do you know stretch out like get one guy high one guy low um and just hold on to the puck. I think that's the biggest thing in three on three is this possession and, and not you know rushing plays. If you have to turn back and and go back and regroup, you know I think that's what the, what uh, teams who have success in overtime do. So I think that's uh, led to it.
2: I know we uh, we had Kale McLean on our post game show last night, and he kind of said the same thing. The group's doing a whole lot of a better job of shot selection and taking the puck out when maybe there's not a great look. How important is that?
3: Yeah, it's huge. I mean, I think that's uh, that's kind of how you 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 get odd man's in overtime too. I mean, I know defense. Ending. you know when the other team has the pocket sucks when they bring it back and then they're you know they, they're, they're trying to look for two-on-ones and, and all-man rushes and get bad changes and you know even look at Naz's goal last night he brings it back he uses Markey, and then kind of catches them and creates a chance so I think that's uh yeah it's been great to see
2: how important is confidence when you're planning overtime Now that you've had a few of them go, like how important is that to know that okay, we can do this?
3: Yeah, I think it's huge. I, mean, I think it's it's like anything. I think you know, special teams or just getting a few wins. I think when you start to have success, you believe every time you go in that you know you can you can win and get the job done. And and uh, it's been huge. I mean, those are always big points. If you even not to bring up last year, but you look at last year, just falling a little bit short. You know, those points add up and matter at the end of the year, so it's it's huge.
2: Well, and 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 knowing that you know there's been a lot of guys who've talked about how there's going to be a by committee group and there's going to be a lot of close games. The ability to get that extra point, it's going to be huge in the in the long run, isn't it?
3: Absolutely, it's going to be massive. And uh, you know I think it's it's a good thing. I think we're we're real comfortable in those close games now, and, and uh, it's nice to see some of those comebacks, the resiliency, not giving up, and um, that's just the way our team is built. And I think it's you know we're having a lot of fun, we're buying, and everybody's contributing. In their own ways, I think that's just leading to that uh, that confidence that we can get the job done.
2: From a personnel standpoint, you take a look at your blue line. You got a lot of mobile defensemen. How how important or how much of an advantage can that be? Knowing there's three or four guys you can throw out there in that spot in three on three.
3: Yeah, that's awesome. You know, you want to be able to to lean on a few guys, especially in overtime, and you never know how it's going to go. Sometimes you get caught out there for a little long and. Um, but the best way to do it is just to run through guys quick and get fresh legs out there and, and get a lot of pace. So, um, yeah, it, it's awesome. And I think that's uh, been a big reason you know, we've had some success.
2: Final question, just with with the month of November and, and how much success you had, and, and also being able to have some overtime success, just how, how does that add to the overall feeling and, and good vibes inside that room?
3: Yeah, the vibes are the vibes are definitely good right now, and we're confident. Obviously, we went through that that tough stretch, and um, I think just the, the way we bounced back and. Um you know, I think we're just playing as a team now. We're having fun. We're, we're playing together. We kind of know what our identity is now, and I think that's a huge thing. And, and uh, you know, we just have to keep building. You know, we're, we're heading in the right direction, and there's still things we can get better at, but I think, you know, that'll happen.
2: There's Noah Hannafin. Chatted with him a little earlier on Friday. Three for three in three-on-three three overtime. Now, one of them was actually four-on-four four overtime, but it's still three-on-three three overtime. I mean, it was four on three counts, overtime to start. It counts as a three on three overtime goal, even though that game, like when you go look at the, the, the goals by period, it still counts as an overtime goal. And we call it three okay. on three overtime. But yes, that game Monday against Vegas never got to three on three because it started with a four on three power play with no whistle once uh, the player came out of the penalty box. So then it stayed 4-on-4 four four until Wieger scored with less than five seconds to go. It was a
4: little bit of a throwback there,
2: back to when they used to do 4-on-4 four four overtime, I got to say. Yeah. I'm old enough to remember that. Also, uh, Hannafin says vibes are good. Uyghur goes a little bit further. Mackenzie Uyghur just a little bit further. Yeah, absolutely. The vibes are immaculate for sure, Tank. So uh, immaculate vibes, good vibes. It's been a good month for the Flames, and overtime's been a part of that.
4: Somebody's got to put that on a t-shirt. There's a marketing opportunity here that we are missing. Patrick? Well... Would you
2: now? Would you go vibes with a Z at the end? No, it's vibes. V I B. I mean, you have All to right. put like the star emoji on it, but uh, vibes. I'm going Zad. Weeger's got, got a video that gets posted every once in a while where he was, I don't know if it comes from an Instagram story or what it was, but somebody's clipped it and he's walking around somewhere and it's kind of like he's look, looking into the phone. And he goes, vibes are immaculate right now. So that's where the oh immaculate vibe stuff comes from with Mackenzie Weeger. Uh, there you go. Three for three in overtime. Big development for the Flames. That's our look inside hockey for Calgary Co-op. Flames fans, meet Cal and Gary. Top products curated for Calgarians. And we mean every single one of you. Oh, only available at Calgary Co-op. Visit them today. Anything and everything, Calgary Flames. It's all on Flames Talk. Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Time now for the Daily Flames Roundtable brought to you by Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. The GLC 300 4MATIC Coupe is built for winter. Loyalty lease rate of 3.99% on a 48-month lease. Zero down for $1,099 a month. No payments until 2024 on this Friday edition of the Roundtable. Steinberg, Aaron Vickers, and now the voice of the Calgary Flames, Derek Wills, joins us as well. So, this was GM Craig Conroy with us on Thursday after making that Nikita Zadorov trade that sent Nikita to the Vancouver Canucks. We
0: paid a third
2: when we acquired Nikita. We got a third, plus, we got another pick. Gives us cap flexibility, which is really an important thing for us. And it also gives us an opportunity to bring up a, a good young player that we believe in and we think is is going to be able to take that spot. And now I'm going to get to see him if, he can actually do it. And uh, on Thursday, Connie wasn't quite ready to divulge who that is. Uh, we now know. And and it, it felt like this was going to be the guy. We now know that that person is Ilya Solovyov. He was recalled by the Flames on this Friday, skated over at Max Bell, and uh, we'll see if he gets into the lineup on Saturday. Um, gents, what do we think of the recall for Solovyov with uh, Nikita no longer on the
0: team? I like it. I, quite frankly, was a little bit surprised when he got sent down after the Heritage Classic. Uh, I thought he played pretty well in his first two games with the Flames this season, but you know he's been a good player for the Stockton Heat. Uh, when the Flames did reassign him, Ryan Huska said that he still had some things that he had to work on, so he's had a chance to go back to the AHL and work on those things. And now he comes up to the NHL, and I don't want to get ahead of myself here, but he looked pretty NHL ready to me during his first stint. So after a little bit more time in the AHL, uh, hopefully he's developed a little bit more, uh, cleaned up a few things in his game to, to make the coaching staff happy and uh, might be the last time that he plays for the Calgary Wranglers. Who knows? Uh, depending on what happens with the Flames between now and the trade deadline, they've got uh, two pending UFAs, uh, big ones, on defense uh, with Noah Hannafin and Chris Tanev. If they move one or both of those guys, then I think it's safe to say Solovial will probably never go back down. But even if they don't move either of those guys, I think there's a chance that he stays up and becomes an NHL regular at this point in his career. So I'm excited to see him again. He's got good size, skates pretty well, plays with a little bit of edge. And uh, yeah, I was pretty impressed the first time around.
4: Yeah, I quite liked what I saw out of him in that two-game audition. You mentioned the game before the Heritage Classic and at the Heritage Classic up at Commonwealth Stadium against the Edmonton Oilers. And the underlying metrics don't paint necessarily a beautiful picture for his two-game stint, but looking back at that Heritage Classic game and rewatching it, he was minus three in that game, but a victim of circumstances on all three goals where it was either a bad bounce or his assignment was taken care of and the other assignment wasn't. And that's why plus-minus isn't necessarily the best stat to highlight whether or not a player is playing really good or really poorly or not and I'm curious to see him up here again and I'm really looking forward to seeing how he watches the other defensemen on the Calgary Flames and practices with them and gets more comfortable and he's a guy that should be watching Chris Tanev in my opinion quite a fair bit because I think certain degrees they're cut from similar molds where they're going to be defense first defensemen they both have an Innate willingness to get in front of a puck to block a shot. And this is an opportunity now for Ilya Solovyev, as you mentioned, Willsey, to prove that he's a full-time NHLer and that he's put the AHL career in the rearview mirror. We heard Ra- Craig Conroy say it. Moving Nikita Zadorov out gives opportunity for a young player to step in. It's Ilya, and now it's his chance to get into the lineup and stay in the lineup like we've seen a couple other young kids.
2: So Craig Conroy has, I think, done a really good job of of following through on the things that he's talked about. And in this circumstance, I think you can give two check marks. A, he said, hey, look, we want guys who want to be here. And if if being with the Flames is not where you want to be, we respect that. So we're probably not going to have you be with the team. And they made that happen on the Nikita Zadorov front, and he's now a member of the Vancouver Canucks. And he also said, we want to get younger and make opportunities for younger players. And they've done that the entire way. And one of the benefits in Craig's eyes, as we heard in that clip, is that by trading Zadorov and not bringing in an NHL body in return, it opens the door for a player they want to get more than two games. And that player is Solovyov. He had a really good training camp. He's had a really good stretch since coming over to North America full time with the Flames organization. And they feel like he's deserving of getting that chance to sink or swim. Very similar to the chance that Connor Zary and Martin Pospisil have had. And, and similar to how they went about their business with, with Matt Coronado. Give a player uh, an extended period of time to show that this is the league that they belong in. And the two games that Solovia have played before were tied to the Rasmus Anderson suspension. This one, this is not a short term thing. Zadorov is not coming back. He's no longer a member of the team. And that door is wide open. So Solovyov gets to come in and compete now for a spot with Dennis Gilbert and Jordan Osterley as well. And so, yeah, I think it's just another example of okay, don't know how successful it's going to be. Don't know whether Solovyov will or will not be able to earn a full time NHL spot but they've said they want to give young players an opportunity and they're going to go out of their way and, and make spots for young players. Well, here's another example of them doing just that. And I think that he is the logical choice as well. Like as soon as Craig said what he said in that clip to us on Thursday, it was pretty obvious. It was Solovyov, yeah. Uh, because he was the guy who had called up because Jeremy Poirier is currently not able to play. And you know Nick DeSimone as as good as he was earlier. That's not a young player. That's a guy who's you know in his late twenties. Whereas God, we're talking about. God, I hate about, to hear what you'd call me then. I know you're well, you're over the hill, buddy. Um, Solovyov's a little bit younger with with less experience. So I'm I'm happy that they're giving him the opportunity. I'm curious to see well, see how it plays out.
0: Yeah, me too. And as I said earlier, he's not a massive man like Nikita Zadorov, who's 6'6", 248, one of the biggest players in the NHL, but he does have good size at 6'3", 208. And he looks a little heavier than that to me. So he certainly plays heavier than that. So uh, I think that he looked good in his first two games. And I know that minus three doesn't look good uh, as far as the, the stats are concerned, but Being on the road for that game and calling it from ice level, I was really anxious to see how Ilya Solovyov would look when on the ice against Connor McDavid and Leon Drysaddle. Because we knew that uh, Jay Woodcroft was going to go after that matchup. And he did. And I didn't think he looked overwhelmed. And quite often, even top four defensemen, the first time they play McDavid with his speed and Drysaddle with his size and his strength and ability to protect the puck, they struggle with that and they look like they're underwater. I didn't think, for my level, that Solovyov did. So that was a promising sign for me. And the other thing about Solovyov, I don't think that he has the offensive upside that uh, Nikita Zadorov did, does. But I do wonder if he can maybe be a little bit steadier for the Flames. Uh, we talked a lot about Nikita Zadorov being uh, much like a roller coaster ride, uh, the highs were high. The lows were lows. You never knew what you were going to get. Now, I thought he played really well prior to the trade request becoming public. I didn't like his game for the most part after that. But I do wonder if on the Flames' third pairing where you want good, solid minutes where you you know what you're going to get and you can expect uh, a pretty steady game, I do wonder if Solovyov can give that to the Flames uh, uh, and give them a bit more stability on that pairing.
4: Yeah, he can be solid and unspectacular and still leave a good impression on the Calgary Flames. The rub for him is going to be to make sure he's moving the puck quickly, he's keeping his game simple, he's providing a physical presence, and he's doing all of that consistently. If he's able to do that, I feel confident that the Calgary Wrangler days are behind him, but he's still got to go out and prove that.
2: Also, I uh, if if you didn't listen to Logo on Sportsnet today on this Friday, uh, I'd go check out the uh, hour one of Sportsnet today because he played the uh, Ilya Solovyov chat he had with us in the um, after after their off-ice workout on Friday. He's a uh, really affable guy and even though english is very clearly his second language he's pretty funny and had uh, it was it was yeah. a good chat either go 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 watch it on the flames uh, socials or go listen to our one of uh, logo show on sportsnet today it was uh, pretty neat it's our uh, daily well, flames... Pat, yeah go ahead well,
0: re- sorry remember i talked to him before his nhl debut he was my one on one before that game and i was really uh, impressed with how well he spoke considering english is not his first language and also just how real he was. And that's something that a lot of Flames fans really liked about Nikita Zadorov. He was honest, I would say, too honest at times. And maybe that's one of the reasons why he now plays for the Canucks. But, you know, I asked Solovyov uh, prior to his NHL debut if uh, he had had time to think about all the people who helped him get there. And he actually welled up. He got emotional, which I absolutely loved because it's great to see that raw emotion from players. So. You know, he's a guy who uh, I've been pretty impressed with as a player, but also as a person in uh, a short period of time trying to get to know him. So I'm excited for him and and to get a look at him again.
2: Daily Flames Roundtable. He's Derek. He's Vicks. My name is Pat Steinberg on this Friday. Okay, then there's the uh, Zdorov front, gents. He... He's still in Calgary. I've seen some shots on socials of him still being here. The reason being, Canucks did not practice on Friday. Today's a strict travel day for them, so they didn't do practice, then fly. They're only flying after their Vegas loss on Thursday. Canucks are in here on Saturday, so Zadorov won't get with his new teammates until saturday's morning skate at 11 30 calgary time and then he plays his first game with the canucks against the flames on saturday night um just how strange is this going to be uh whether it's saturday over or overall how strange is it going to be seeing nikita in a canucks uniform
0: uh it'll be a little bit strange i mean not like mark jordano in a Kraken jersey or Johnny Gaudreau in a Blue Jackets jersey or Matthew Kaczak in a Panthers jersey. But you know, we've uh, watched him play for two-plus seasons, so it'll be a little bit strange. I think the, the strangest thing will be just a quick turnaround, right? He gets traded yesterday uh, and then makes his Canucks debut versus the Flames tomorrow. So uh, not a lot of time to process and, and wrap your head around the fact that he's gone from one Pacific team to another so that'll be a little bit strange but uh, i'm sure tomorrow's going to be a whirlwind for nikita because uh, the canucks don't play the, the same way the flames do uh he doesn't the coaches or the players or the system or the style so or, or his partner we'll have to wait and see who he's paired up with so i'm sure there's going to be a lot of video work for nikita Zadorov, although Maybe not too much because they probably won't, won't want to overwhelm him with too much information before he makes his Canucks debut, but you know he gets uh, at least one skate in before playing for his new team against his old team, and I'm anxious to see him at Scotiabank Saddle Dome. I'm sure, in a way, as hard as it was to leave uh, the Flames and, and his teammates, he's also excited because the spotlights shone pretty brightly on him on a couple of occasions this season. After he made the comments about – Daryl Sutter being gone and the excuses being gone. You know, that uh, led to a bit of a media storm. And obviously, uh, so did his agent's tweet following that game against the Maple Leafs where his trade request uh, seemed to surprise the Flames and became very public. Uh, So I'm sure this is uh, a weight off of his shoulders. He joins a good Canucks team that has really improved their blue line since last season. So uh, I'm anxious to see him in the game and uh, to see how comfortable it looks uh, in his Canucks
4: debut. Yeah, I don't know how weird it'll be. He did have three stops before joining the Calgary Flames, uh, playing with the Buffalo Sabres, Colorado Avalanche, and Chicago Blackhawks. So what's probably going to be weirder for me is seeing him skate around the ice in number 91. That's the number he's going to wear with the Vancouver Canucks. 16 might have been taken in Vancouver already. Yeah, I don't is know there, if that is there, the thing uh... or not.
2: Is there a guy who wore 16 that they? So
4: if Nikita Zadorov tumbles head over Did feet, do they choose Mark Messier like over
2: that guy? They...
4: That's a fuzzy period in their yeah, history. I'm not entirely sure. So it won't necessarily be weird for me to see him in a different jersey, but it will be weird to see him so quickly. And I'm, to be yeah. quite honest, I'm excited to see what he brings on the ice. His first game with the Vancouver Canucks against his old team, the Calgary Flames, given the trade requests and how public it was and how if I was a teammate. It would have rubbed me completely the wrong way, especially coming after, as you say, Willsey, the, there's no Daryl excuse and players can't be individuals. They got to play for the, all that stuff. So I'm very, very excited to see how that, and if that carries over onto the ice on Saturday, but in terms of seeing him in a different Jersey, we've seen them in three other ones already. So that part won't be weird. Just keep an eye out for number 91 on the Vancouver Canucks.
2: You know, you're talking, of course, number 16 is Trevor Linden. Yes. Who is uh, retired in Vancouver. One of the only things that I will praise the Canucks. On, I mean, lots of things. They've had a great turnaround this year. I still think the 2011 Canucks are the uh, best team in the history of the league to never win a Stanley cup. And, uh, and I honestly stand by that and I'm so happy that it's the case. Uh, but also, uh, I believe it was Mike Keenan who was the general manager at the time, uh, as as much as he may have bungled things on choosing Messier over Linden, that Linden trade was an absolute failure for the Islanders and a home run for the Canucks. They got Brian McCabe and Todd Bertuzzi in that trade for Trevor Linden. Um, Not bad piece so of that, work. that ended up working all, out all right. Anyway, enough of uh, the, the satin and uh, reach can talk about that on Canucks Central over on 650. I'll go back to the weirdness of Zadorov being on the other team. Uh, yeah, it's going to be strange, and I. Guys, I can't remember something quite like this on on the other side. I feel like there's been... Uh, the, there was the Camilleri one where he got pulled from the game. Mid-game, yeah. Mid-game and then got to Calgary the next day. That was kind of strange where he was playing and then got dealt. um, And, and he got dealt to Calgary because at the time you're like, oh, Camilleri's been pulled. No way, he's coming to Calgary. And then all of a sudden, was, oh, he's coming to Calgary. Oh, he is coming to Calgary. That's weird. Um, But this, one, uh, this one's going to be weird because... You know why it's gonna be weird? Cause I honestly believed up until this month that there was a decent chance that Zadorov would be a long-term member of the Calgary Flames. The way that he embraced being part of this team, embraced being part of this city, uh and, and the way he spoke about being a member of the Flames, I thought that was something that was gonna happen. Obviously things change and circumstances change and here we are, but you know, I just it got very, very familiar seeing Zadorov in those colors, even though he was only here for a little more than two seasons. Not like he was a longtime member of the Flames. It just, I think it felt like he was here longer, and I think part of that is just how good a fit he's been for us in the media, how easy he is to talk to, how he's kind of turned into or how he did turn into at times an unofficial spokesman in some ways. And so I, I think it's going to be weird for those reasons. I really do think, guys, the Canucks have added a really important piece for them. Uh, I think it's a great trade for the Canucks. I really do. Um, I know that a lot of people hate it for the Flames. I'm not one of those people, but I also think this is one that that the Canucks made a really good trade on and and are getting good value on bringing Zadorov in. I think he's going to be a really good fit there.
0: Yeah, I like to trade for the Canucks too. They don't give up a roster player or a first or a second round pick. They improve their blue line. They add some size. They add some physicality. I think what will be the weirdest thing for me is if Nikita Zadorov throws a big open ice hit on a member of the Flames because he did that so many times as a member of the Flames. So that'll be a little bit weird. But I suspect there's going to be some hesitation in his game tomorrow night, guys, for a couple of different reasons. A, he... He's still trying to figure out uh, what's just happened and this Canucks team and how they play. So I think there might be a bit of hesitation for, for those reasons, but also because he's playing against his former team two days after getting traded away from them. So it's going to be weird for him, I'm sure, to, to be trying to hit guys wearing red. So we'll see how it goes tomorrow night. Uh, should be a fun night. Uh, it's a big game for both teams, and uh, I'm looking forward to it uh, and the return of Nikita Zadorov.
4: Just quickly, what's the crowd
2: reaction? Cheer, boo, or indifferent? Mm, I'll say like smattering of booze, Not uh, not Johnny or Kachuk level, or even like Dion Phaneuf level, or Drew Doughty level. I think it'll be a no smattering. No Adam Fox? No, it won't be Fox, Doughty, enough, <laughs> <laughs> or, or Johnny or Matthew. It won't All be right. that. Fair enough. But I think I'll, I'll say a smattering of booze. How's that? I'll also, agree with that. Mackenzie Wieger today <laughs> says... Yeah, maybe we'll try to dump it into his corner and see if we can't get a lick on him. A few guys might try to do that. We'll see how that plays out as well. Uh, See you Saturday, Wilsey. Thank you, pal. Okay, guys. Have a good weekend. He's Derek Wills. He's Aaron Vickers. My name is Pat Steinberg. That'll wrap us up on uh, the Daily Flames Roundtable. Brought to you by Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. The GLC 300 4Matic Coupe is built for winter. Loyalty lease rate of 3.99% on a 48-month lease. Zero down for 1099 a month. No payments until 2024. As we start to wrap up this hour, thanks to Cam and Taylor, our producers. Good to have Vicks back on the show this week. Uh, he'll be with us all next week as well. Uh, after a, a brief little uh, hiatus. Good to have you back, buddy.
4: Great to be back, pal. Thanks for the welcome.
2: Aaron Vickers on Twitter at a. A. Vickers. My name is Pat Steinberg. This hour has been the Sports Drive, brought to you by Calgary Lock and Safe. This Christmas, give the gift of security with smart locks and safes. Visit calgarylockandsafe.com.